Thank you for choosing to listen to this special episode of Conversations, the podcast from ABF The Soldiers Charity. I'm Dave Roberts, and today I'll be exploring some of the words we use when we talk and write about army life and soldiers. We're making this special as part of the 75th anniversary of ABF The Soldiers Charity and to mark an evening of spoken word performance held in London in early October. I'm joined in the studio by poet Martin Figuera, who has some specially commissioned work to read. We'll hear from Alex Hale, whose father was killed in action in Afghanistan. And there's poetry from 96-year-old veteran Sid Salis, read by actor Jeremy Irons. For many of us, our knowledge of military poetry might begin and possibly end with things we read at school. Wilfred Owen, Robert Graves, Seafried Sassoon and Rupert Brooke may have helped us to begin to understand World War I. But how can poetry help connect us to the wider experience of army life? I'm joined by a man who can help me answer that question. Martin Figuera is a poet, a photographer, a qualified accountant and a retired army major. Hello, Martin. Hello, Dave. A poet and a retired army major. It's not a common mix. It's just my unique selling point. that uh, It gets me gigs and um, <laughs> makes for interesting introductions. You're also a chartered accountant, a photographer, um, and when you were young, quite a rebel. Well, I, I joined the army in 1973. I left school at 15 and joined. Um, and I came from a troubled childhood and a care background. And the army is very good, especially basic training in the junior army, to sort of kick back against life, really. And that's where the rebel bit came in, I think. So you become a poet? I did. I started writing just before I left. More to show off, um, really. I was kind of, like, performing. And so I wrote poems that were funny. I started to do that just before I left. And I'm still doing it 20-odd years later, yeah. We're here to talk about poetry, words, how we use words to describe life as a soldier, life in the army. But we often look at military poetry as being World War I poetry. But we don't really hear that much about poetry in the more recent uh, times in our military history. Do you have an opinion on why that might be? I don't know. I think those First World War poems became fixed in our imagination of when a time when poetry... I suppose, was held in higher regard. Why it isn't written about so much now is I think we're in a post-colonial world and post-empire, so that kind of past is thought of perhaps in a pejorative sense. And dare I say, poetry comes from a a liberal left perspective, by and large. And if it's written about at all conflict, it tends to be from that perspective, you know, from the outside in. And about the effect it has on other people more so than what it has on soldiers serving. You've agreed to um, read some of your new work um, that's been commissioned for ABF The Soldiers Charity, uh, which we'll do in just a minute. But first you're going to read Maroon Machine. Maroon Machine. A shove and shout and you're out in the roar and the next second yank clear of the line like a doll and the Iron Age hummocky plain below a throne done cloth in the afternoon glare. Your boots are 3D and things become clear. 
Old Sarum's a cuppering, Stonehenge a broken mouth, tank tracks crisscrossing the chalk terrain and its burial mounds like self-harmed scars. This place will take all the grit you possess. Shouts from Bruneval to Albazra echo the corridors. Learn them by heart. This berry is all. Leave your luggage at the door. Etches into your skin like a blood group tattoo. Fall quiet from the sky. Hit the ground and roll. Tell us a little bit more about it and about how you came to write that one. Well, it's a poem about belonging and identity, but also, I guess it's also a little bit about me, that I joined the army from a care background, which is not that unusual. And so there's leave your luggage at the door. And the maroon machine, they kind of personify that most ultimate, that sense of belonging, that regimental pride. You knew when paras were about, they let you know it. And there's also that history from Brunevelt to Albazra, all that baggage that comes from the job as it is. Soldiers quite often have blood group tattoos, so it seemed like a really good symbol for belonging. Also, I suppose, I mean, there's a lot of talk of mental health now, but just like at the time, it was just, yeah, leave that at the door, mate, not interested. You know, you're here to do a job. It has that element to it, hit the ground and roll. We look at uh, what you've written in Maroon Machine. Uh, we look at the World War One poets and what they're writing about. Do you think we've moved to a different space where about soldiering and about what army life is actually about in 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 the words the terminology the phraseology the uh, that we use to describe being yeah. a soldier rather than the, maybe not the heroism yeah i think so there's a much more reflective and open attitude to i mean mental health i don't want to make it all about mental health but what it must mean to be a soldier and those old ideas that were around 100 years ago are gone and we live in a very different world and conflict is different now. And poetry's changed since the First World War poets with modernism was beginning to emerge then. So poetry's changed, the world has changed and conflict has changed and our ideas about empire has changed as well and nationalism has changed. Later... We're going to hear Jeremy Irons reading Arnhem, a poem by Sid Salis. Sid was a dispatcher flying missions over Arnhem in 1944. But first, some words from Alex Hale. If you've been listening to the rest of our podcast series, you'll have heard Alex already in conversation with myself and Andrew Blair. Both Alex and Andrew lost their fathers when they were eight years old, albeit separated by 40 years. If you haven't heard it, please do take a moment to listen to that episode of Conversations. You'll find it by simply searching for ABF The Soldier's Charity wherever you get your podcasts. Alex wrote the following poem alongside her sister and mother to honour her father, Captain Mark Hale, who was killed in action in Afghanistan in 2009. But as you'll hear, the poem also honours other men who have given their lives. The blood-red poppy on a grey winter's day reminds me that we do not mourn or remember alone. The children who waited with their faces pressed to the window, watching for the daddy who would never come home. To help with our homework, decorate the Christmas tree, frighten prospective boyfriends and sneak kisses with mum in the kitchen. The children who say Father's Day isn't important and birthdays don't need to be special. Who needs a dad to take his daughter to uni for the first time? 
or squeeze her hand as he walks her down the aisle. We are the army children who still proudly and fiercely love our dads. And when we see a blood-red poppy on a grey winter's day, we know that you reach out to us and say, for our tomorrow, they gave their today. We miss you, Daddy. Alex Hale there, reading her poem, Forgotten Voices, written in remembrance of her father, Captain Mark Hale. Martin, your thoughts on what you've just heard? Well, it's a very personal poem, obviously, and it's interesting what we were talking about, about poetry and what it does and how it works, and I think it opens with that idea of the red poppy on a grey day, and that's a really visual, it's an image, so it opens on a really strong image. And I think that's what language can do, and I think it's important in poetry. I always think a poem, it opens like the curtains going back on a stage set. So she sets out where we are, we've got the poppies and we've got the grey day there, um, so she set the scene and then we get into the action of the poem, what it's really about, about being an army child, which is an interesting perspective. It's not written about before, I don't think. Um, I know one poet, Tiffany Atkinson, who has, but other than that, it's quite a closed book. So that's interesting, and the story behind it, and the fact that she opens it up to the universal, which is an important thing, I think, through the personal, we, we reach the universal, so the morning and stuff like that is something everyone will we'll deal with at some point in their lives. So that connects you, the reader, emotionally to the poem. And, and it's quite simple. And when you've got something really tough to say, there's a tendency to want to over-egg the pudding to make it really dramatic and, and brutal or whatever, to overwrite it, I suppose. It keeps it really simple, which is what gives it its emotional strength. People get put off poetry. They think it's this. It's a language, and it works in a way like anything works, like IT works or accountancy works or motor mechanics works. It has a way of working. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And and it does it does all the right things, and it uses language really well. I think it's interesting. In fact, they wrote it as an army family. Yeah, um, something that. Um, uh, obviously, we as a, a charity have a great interest in is, is, is how we uh, support and how we uh, work with um, army families who've experienced all sorts of different types of uh, problems and experiences, be that bereavement or, or, or many, many other things. If you're moved around the country as a child yeah. for all your childhood and into young adulthood, I mean, that has an impact on you. Um, as, and that's as the soldier's family is something that maybe we haven't really reflected on that often. No, and, and it's an important thing. I was moved around a lot as a child, but not in those circumstances. And the other thing is that your father is in harm's way. I suppose when we write about the army, we've always written about conflict. That's the interesting thing. That's where history lies, right? But I like small human stories, and they're not necessarily where the action is. When you write a poem, it doesn't necessarily explain a thing, but it, you come to an understanding with an event by articulating it in language. And, and that helps, I think. It certainly helped in my case. You put poems down, they're small things, they're on a page, and you can write lots of them and then you can move them around together. And you, Because life, something like what happened to Alex and her family, is a massive thing. And if you just try and hold it in your head, it's too much, it's too complicated. But you make little poems and you put them together and gradually you, you ad address the memory, and memory is an unreliable thing, and it doesn't matter. You've made it into a shape 
that, that you can hold, and that really matters. So you're saying that you feel that doing that helped you address your past? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote to, to understand, to explain it to myself. And if you get that right, and you get the language right, and you get the poems right, then it, it can say th things to other people. It becomes that universal thing, so they won't have had the same experiences of, as you, but they can... I was thinking it's like putting a load of clothes pegs on a washing line and you pin your bits of laundry, dirty, clean, whatever, on it, but there's, there's a few spare pegs and the reader can, can hang their laundry on your line as well. Laundry and poetry, uh, there's a combination to uh, You weren't savor. expecting that, were you? I certainly wasn't. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's true. <laughs> but now it's time for another poem, and um, this one is from Corporal Sid Salis, who is now 96 years old, and the last surviving Royal Army Service Corps air dispatcher to serve during the Battle of Arnhem. He joined the Army in 1942 as a driver, when he was 21, he was dropping supplies to British ground troops from an RAF Sterling flying over Arnhem. Those dispatchers are called by some unsung heroes, or the forgotten heroes, uh, for the valour that they showed in trying to get much-needed supplies to the troops below. Now, Sid's an understated man. Um, now he's 96 years old. But he said about uh, that experience, We lost 19 men just on the first day. I was really lucky. In the RAF Sterlings, there was a big hole in the floor. So it's one false move and you were out. The Germans were all around us during the drop. And although we couldn't see them, they could see us. Experience like that have, naturally, stayed with him throughout his life. And we're going to hear a poem now that Sid wrote to mark that time in his life and those events in history. This is read by the actor Jeremy Irons. Arnhem by Sid Salis. Shadows hung o'er the field before dawn's early light. The planes, already loaded, were waiting for the flight. Men were joking, furiously smoking, all keyed up to go. Some were swearing, none were caring. All were speaking low. Then the order came to board, and the men climbed in the kites. They made themselves quite comfortable, got ready for the fight. Planes chugging, gliders tugging, in the sky a drone. Half in stupors, the paratroopers had already flown. They flew across the land and sea, they flew right over France. At last... They reached the dropping zone, now to lead the Huns a dance. Stupidly grinning, madly spinning, the paras went down to earth, twisting, turning, dropping, burning, the gliders hit the turf. Way back in England, standing by, were the Dakotas and Stirlings beside them, waiting for the word to go to supply the men at Arnhem. None forlorn, they got airborne and soon were on their way. They got the plaque, they needed luck to see them through the day. Some got through to the Arnhem boys and down the panniers went. Some fell wide 
and some fell short, but all were heaven-sent. Engines stalling, kites were falling, cowards there were none. Parachutes trailing, no man failing to get his duty done. The flak was heavy all the time. The Huns' guns barked below. Some kites were lucky, some were not, and down in flames they'd go. Planes were bumping, men were jumping, some stayed in their plane. For those now dead, let it never be said those boys died in vain. For three long days the boys went out, nervous, yes, but unafraid, little knowing all the time that history was being made. Gay yet weary, tired and dreary, when came the order to stop, put to the test, they'd come out best and finished right on top. Let's think of those who came not back, the tragedy of the story. They only know the path they took led only on to glory. Another page of history written, sad and perhaps forlorn. Bravery unsurpassed, hearts broken and torn. Adding yet another word, courage means airborne. Jeremy Irons reading the Sid Salis poem Arnhem, written by Sid on his return from flying missions over Arnhem in 1944. A poem very different to what we've looked at so far. A poem that's uh, telling a story, telling a tale, and is a direct memory of his own experiences and the experience of his colleagues. Today, as we've just uh, been discussing, we write in a very different way with a different feeling do we well there's i mean there's many types of poetry so i think this is a poem of witness isn't it and it's over his time so and we still read poems from 100 years ago and they're fine poems and like all art forms it changes so i think it kind of belongs to his period which is appropriate it's a poem of witness and a poem of public record so this is an important poem, it expresses how he felt and what it was like, and he talks about luck and what seemed important about you know, never let it be said they died in vain that's a big kind of existential question around the whole business of soldiering, isn't it you know, why we do it should we be doing it you know, at certain points and certainly in this respect we know it wasn't in vain but as the world gets more murky and complicated around the edges and less sort of black and white, good and bad, it's a more complicated question to answer. So that kind of interested me. And he talked about none of them afraid, which I don't quite buy. I was just reflecting on when we were listening to that that, that poem there and what you said beforehand and the fact that uh, you used uh, bits of poetry to come to terms or, or to reflect upon some of your own personal experiences. And you wonder whether... Sid 
uh, was doing the same thing when he was when he was writing this that he was able to express his emotions and his feelings through writing in this manner rather than maybe talking about it yeah it, it i mean when i write i use the language of photography a lot and it's a, a different language it's a different lexicon and it allows you to say the unsayable i think you put it on paper people can read it on their own or you can read it out to them but it does put that distance and it does mean you can say the unsayable and you work things out on paper you work out your experience people turn to poetry at big life events they just do and it becomes this precious thing sometimes i think it's too precious we you know poets are as guilty as it's probably more guilty than anyone else so there's this poetry you can't do adverts with poetry can't do this you know it's this precious thing so we do hold poetry in high regard even if we ignore it most of the time and but at times that really matter on a personal level it's where we often go I'd like to now ask you to read another one of your poems because the work that Martin has undertaken for ABF, the Soldiers' Charity, is reflecting on the, the life of soldiers in many different ways and this collection uh, will be available uh, for people to read themselves. But it, it's looking at all different aspects of uh, soldiering um, and what impact it has on you both at the time and in your life going forwards. And here we have a poem by Martin What's this one called? It's called The Sea, and it's for Stuart Harris, who, in his, in his first three years of joining the army, packed more in than I managed in 25 years. It's a conflation, really, of a number of things I, I talked with him about, or he, he told me about the experience of joining up, what that means, and, and what, it, what he ended up facing. The Sea, for Stuart Harris. After school came the slow coastal erosion of self to what was on offer, the saucy postcards of Rill faded in their racks. Stu felt the weight of his grandfather's medals, dreamt London codacomb bright, to one day stand to attention close enough to see how beautiful the Queen really is. The Welsh guards are small town boys, reeking of kiwi gloss, beeswax and spit. Of a deep shine of pageantry, a forge from steel for tough work. A hand reaches and hauls stew over the assault course's twelve-foot wall. On the other side, there's no time for air and his heart's a fire in his chest. Basra has a desert climate and far less rain than rill. Stu's mum drank her tea, waved him off, wished him love and to have a nice time. Stu prayed for her sanctuary of innocence. The lance sergeant admitted his fear so they could too. He taught them how to inject morphine and wait out the storm before the opiate calm. Stu learned the art of observation, that when covert in a derelict building, you must be able to fight your way out, know your exit routes. That's Martin Figueroa reading his poem, The Sea, just one of his newly commissioned pieces for ABF, the Soldiers' Charity. That poem is dedicated to Stuart Harris, and we featured Stuart in an earlier episode of the podcast series when he was in conversation with Mal Jones. For anyone who hasn't heard that, tell us a little bit about Stuart and about why you wrote that for him. He provoked more poems than anyone else I spoke to. He comes from... Well, I know Rill. 
I know what it's like. I've been there on holiday. And I also came from a similar era that looking around you and there wasn't much on offer. So you joined the army, not out of principle or anything, but he was looking for an out and he had his grandfather's story and he had a sort of idea of London, I think, almost like one of those postcards that wasn't faded. It was really bright. And he said that to me, you know, told me how beautiful the Queen is when you get close to her. And so he has that kind of old-fashioned patriotism about him as well. It's not something you see that often anymore. And we talked about bullying boots, and we talked about spit in another context. And the thing that being a guardsman, it was either the Welsh Guards or another Welsh regiment, and he went with the guards because, because of that pageantry. It's quite interesting when you compare when I've read what, what you've written, and you've written a couple about, about Stu, and I know Stu, uh, and then we look at um, uh, the poem that Sid wrote on, on his return, and I think, I think almost it tells you that story of how we've changed about how we reflect upon what soldiers do and what soldiering is all about, yeah. um, and that it's not as heroic or romantic as sometimes um, we may have talked about it in the past. And for me, as a, as a kind of uh, layperson and a civilian, reading what you've written about some of our beneficiaries and how, and how we help, and especially the, that work around uh, Stuart, it has been incredibly illuminating. Oh, um, thank you very much. I, uh, mean, and I, ho- I hope that other people who, who, who listen to it and read it um, will experience the same, uh, the same thing. I have to say the same thing about Sid, listening to Sid's poem. Yeah. Uh, uh, just, this was enormous, what these guys were doing. Uh, the random nature of their luck in their lives, and it was a, it was a, a simple, uncomplicated thing, right? I mean, it was a terrifying, um, extraordinary thing that they did, that really did save the world. I think what's different now there was that when I joined, there was this party line. What goes on in the mess stays in the mess. You didn't talk, you wouldn't express dissatisfaction with the army heaven forbid that the army ever did anything wrong or anyone in it behaved badly, which is ridiculous given the the nature of the job and the circumstances in which human beings find themselves in and the pressure that they're under. And so it was interesting to hear Stu and, and John Cutting as well. They'd never done anything like this before. There was Northern Ireland. There'd been the Falklands, a really old-fashioned, not too far apart from Sid's War, really. And then all of a sudden there's Afghanistan and there's Iraq and these wars are are, are complicated, high-impact wars where you can't... What happened to Stuart was his patrol got shut up, led into a trap by an Afghanistan policeman. And so there's all that, the people they were training and helping. Do you trust them? There's this breakdown of trust and they talked openly about that and whether they were treated well and there's bullying and racism we talked about all those things which still exist i mean it's not a perfect thing the army right and um but what is and given the nature of what it does it would be surprising if, if it was and i think we then for me listening to alex's poem um written after her father's death still brings a tear to my eye when I yeah. hear it read. And I, I think that we've covered a range of emotions that do tell a story in themselves about how the army and life as a soldier impacts on the world around them. It impacts upon them as individuals and it impacts upon their friends and family. 
that's what struck me when I when I came to see when I got the commissioners talking is it's about individuals and that impact and so war and conflict in the army tends to get looked at as a whole as as a thing right and politics and world history and Alex telling her story so simply has that goes right through you and it's just one story I was watching a program last night on the TV of soldiers going back to Afghanistan and seeing how it's changed and their emotional connection to a place and the people that was obviously a really difficult place for them is extraordinary you know what's born out of hardship I guess and and these things that there is that special bond I think that the army has that you kind of don't lose I don't think I think that's a very good place to end our conversation today Martin Uh, so thank you very much for joining me and thank you too to everyone who's contributed to this special episode of Conversations thanks again to Martin uh, to Sid Salis and to Alex Hale and her family for their poems and to Jeremy Irons for his evocative voice there are five other podcasts in this series that are well worth your time each featuring a conversation between two people whose lives have been shaped by war and conflict. If you want to find out more about ABF The Soldiers Charity, you can do so at soldierscharity.org. I'm Dave Roberts, and this has been a Wise Buddha production on behalf of ABF The Soldiers Charity. Thanks again for listening.